This is part one of two. We should, recording. yeah, we should. Actually, guess what? We're recording? I, we're already recording. Okay, welcome to I Went to Film School, the podcast about uh, film school and life after film school. And we have Brayden Brickner with us, who's our first returning guest of the podcast. I'm honored. I'm completely honored. <laughs> you sound thrilled. I, you know, uh, I was taking the subway up here and uh, thinking about that, and I came to the conclusion that, yes, I was thrilled. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. It's an honor. Yeah, right? Yeah, this is going to be our second Halloween episode this month. Um, so we were last time, last episode, we did a top 10 of, uh, monster movies. Well, we're doing another fucking top 10 guys. <laughs> wow. Yeah, sorry. Um, Zach, you can back up from the mic a little bit. Just can I? Yeah. Actually, Actually I'm, I'm realizing it now. bomb too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's another top 10. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Just brain said. It's great. I'm glad we're... This is good. By is the way, okay? Zach, your cats are... Uh, oh, son of a bitch. Okay, yeah, can well. just edit this out. But... Yeah. <laughs> we'll cut this. Don't edit way. this out. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Just, um, just silence as we listen to cats being moved. <laughs> you just hear like a faint meow in the background and that's it. You briefly saw Fig and Rudy. Yeah, Brian, you're not a big cat fan, are you? No. Why? Is this it? what you want to talk about? <laughs> no. Okay, you're a cat fan, aren't you? Right? That's what I heard. No. Okay, sorry. So getting back to it. So this week we're doing a we're doing another top ten. We're talking that we're top we're counting down the top ten episodes of the from the show Tales from the Crypt. So yeah. Well, we are counting down your top ten. My top ten episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Yeah. And Very we're just we're just along for the ride. You're yeah, just along for the ride. So what I this kind of worked. So for those who listened to last episode, last week we had Julia Galley on, and Julia had Moss and I watch ten monster movies uh, from the Universal Monster Movie Saga, and she ranked them in the top ten. We didn't know, we didn't watch them in any particular order. Yeah, yeah. We just kind of we knew what they were. Um, but she kind of sent us this list, so it was fun because we, as li- as we were making the podcast, kind of got to discover her top ten list. So I guess Zach, is that what you were kind of hoping to do this? That's time? kind of what I did. I get Braden and Moss here. I had them both watch ten episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Br- Braden came up with his own top ten from those ten. Moss just didn't do anything. He just I watched d- them. <laughs> Um, Wait, hold on. No, there was no imperative given to make a top ten. I didn't. Okay, that's fair. No, I didn't tell you to. Braden just. Braden uh, it was just bonus marks. Exactly. Braden's good at that shit. So I'm gonna go through my list. Like we're gonna talk about each episode as I rank them. Moss and Braden are gonna give their opinions on the episode. Did they like them? Did they dislike them? Do they think it deserves to be in this uh, ranking in general? Uh, and yeah, and a heads up for anyone who really cares, uh, there are a lot of spoilers in this episode for these TV show episodes. I'm not sure if anyone really wanted to go into this like blind, but tough. I, I mean, if you haven't seen the episodes from Tales of the Crypt, yet you're listening to like a podcast titled Top 10 Episodes of Tales from the Crypt, like it just, you know. It's also, uh, some are 30 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. is, <laughs> it's a relatively old show. You have no fucking excuses. Just like when we watched uh, Reanimator last year. It's been around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm going to give a brief... I'm not sure if a lot of listeners will know what the series Tales from the Crypt is. 
Uh, so I'm going to give a brief overview. Basically, Ruby's Rundown, it's a horror anthology series. It ran on HBO from 1989 to 1996. Some of you, maybe you've heard, well, if you haven't heard of the TV series, I doubt you've heard of like the couple movies that they've made. But there was a movie in the ni- movie in the 1970s, Tales from the Crypt, that was like a horror anthology series. Mm-hmm. And uh, also... <laughs> also, there was a Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. Okay, yeah, which are that. both excellent too. Yeah, and also this all stems from like a series of comic books called Tales from the Crypt, and it was also like Tales from Suspense and yeah, there's easy like comics. A, yeah, easy comics. Yeah, that Brayden is probably better at giving you history. EC than this. comics. Oh, okay, sorry. EC, yeah, comics. EC comics. All except for like one or two Tales from the Crypt episodes in the series, they're all based on one of the specific comics. And hmm. they like say it to you. if you go on the Wikipedia page, like it'll tell you what issues like the stories are based on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not. I've never read the comics. Have you ever read the comics, Braden? I remember them being around. I remember going to comic book stores, and you could get the hardcover, like collected editions. Okay. Um, I more kind of picked up the science fiction ones. Like yeah. when I would go through old comic books, I would grab, uh, like old. I can't remember the name, but they were like, they were tales from the crypt, but it was all science fiction. So they were. Uh, people like kind of getting caught up in alien kind of disputes okay. and like time travel and weird shit like that. So still kind of eerie tales, but within a science fiction context rather than like a thriller, chiller. Yeah. I guess sometimes gothic. Context. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Because these are very much American gothic Yes, these stories are very, yeah, they're very much that. And um, that's another thing is that, like, while we'll probably get into this more as we do the top ten countdown, but, like, if you go through the Tales from the Crypt TV series, a lot of the episodes fall into either one of two categories. Either it's, like, a straight horror story through and through, like, either the horror comes out at the end or it's, like, there all the time, or it's, like, a thriller. And, like, there's one that didn't make the top ten, but it's, like, this guy kills his wife, and this cop is going after him on this train trip, and the, the whole time it's just kind of this game of cat and mouse and shit like that. Oh, okay. So it's either sometimes a thriller, sometimes it's an all-out horror. There's a bit of both in here. So, yeah, you guys ready to start counting down? Sure. Just before I, – I, I just wanted to quickly say I have never – so just before we did – just much like some of the Universal Monster I had never seen of – I didn't even really know – I always thought that Tales of the Crypt was a kid show. And like it was. I, Yes, I, yes that's what I'm more familiar with as a cartoon. Yeah, okay, interesting. So that's what a lot of listeners might be more familiar with as well. So mm-hmm. go Tales ahead, of Moss. the Crypt Keeper, I believe, was like an animated series. Sort of like right did. after the live action series ended too. Yeah, very interesting because that's where I, I – I, even then, I hadn't seen any of that show either. I had only like heard about it from other people. So I, I went into this kind of associating the Crypt Keeper and all these things with like – like, I had only ever seen, like, the robot chicken sketches where they made fun of them instead of, like, the actual ones. I wasn't expecting it to be, like, R-rated horror with, like, like awesome special effects and gore and swearing. It's it's awesome. And then I remember texting that, like, how is this on TV? And you were just like, HBO. And I was like, oh, yeah, yes. this is like it, when This is, like, when HBO first started doing that, too. But because they were premium cable network, they, like... A lot. There were other anthology series on at the time, but they weren't allowed to have like the Tales from the Crypt has like fucking nudity, swearing, sex, all that shit. And HBO yeah. was like, "Yeah, just put it all in." Yeah, it's well, awesome. Yeah, you had in the eighties, you had um, you had like the new Twilight Zone yeah. series, and you had uh, there's a Friday the Thirteenth anthology series. Really? Um, yeah, I think that revolved around like weird shit that happened on Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Okay. And I think this is this is the series that really kicked off the nineties. 
Especially yeah. kids anthology. Yes. Kids mm. horror anthology. Yeah. Like, and this was like the show that like kids like weren't even supposed to watch. Like if like no. not that I not that I grew up with this shit, but like No, but I think this is what got us Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. And Goosebumps. Goosebumps and, yeah, yeah. Freaky stories in Canada. Oh right. Um, yeah, yeah. Scary stories. And the Tales the of the Crypt Keeper. Um there were a few others in there that I remember in that late nineties, early two thousands, but yeah. we don't have it's weird. We don't have this yeah, I guess there's a, there's a there's sorry there's on Shutter, uh, we have um, geez, what is it called? Creep Show. Creep Show. Yeah. So is that back? Like that's kind of like a reboot Creep Show's of a the... series now. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. I didn't know huh. that. So is that exclusively on Shutter? I think so. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, this whole episode is actually sponsored by Shutter Moss. <laughs> now I wish we had sponsors. We're not there yet. <laughs> We're not go. We're not there yet. Zach's lament. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we'll dive into the top ten now. We'll, oh, let's do it a little more smoothly. Yeah, yeah. We'll try, we'll try to um, put this a little bit more smoothly. Um, how about, um, so you know how you made your own top ten, Braden? Yeah. How about when I say what's like my like number 10 is I'm going to go through the rank just say where you ranked that on your list okay okay and we'll go and talk about it and yeah okay so so number 10 my number 10 episode my number 10 best episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt is Slight Case of Murder season 7 episode 3 you bastard you used to call me Biscuit come on admit it when you heard my voice you felt better I should take this poker and rearrange your organs now. Get out of my house. Get out! Which was uh, directed by Brian Helgeland, written by Brian Helgeland, and uh, we'll get into the actors later because I don't really fucking recognize any of them. But uh, yeah, so Brian, where did you rank uh, Slight Case of Murder on your top ten? I actually had it, I have it as number five. Really? So you had a lot higher up on your list then, huh? Yes. Okay. And that, because I think it I think it exceeds it exceeded my like I went in the second it was like a British writer writing. I'm like, oh this is a negative Christie episode or episode <laughs> and you seem really disappointed. Okay, yeah. Uh, so right through that I wanna shit. give a, before we get into that, I wanna give a brief plot overview of what this episode's about. Sure. Okay, so this is in season seven, and a little fun fact about Tales from the Crypt. Season seven, for some reason, their production moved to England. The, all of season seven, it was shot and produced in London. So all of the season seven episodes are about British characters, except for, like, one. Anyway, in this particular episode, the story centers around a famous murder mystery author, this woman who's kind of supposed to be basically like an Agatha Christie author. And uh, she lives in this big old house. And all of a sudden, her she's in the middle of a divorce with her husband, but her husband randomly shows up, accuses her of cheating with their nosy neighbor's son, and this whole game of cat and mouse kind of ensues with the husband trying to kill her and all the shit happens and I'll just uh, I'm just going to say the ending right now in the end you find out that everything that happened in the episode was manipulated and orchestrated by the nosy neighbor who's constantly popping in and asking her for writing advice because she wants to be a murder mystery author and essentially the neighbor had like this idea for a murder mystery book and decided to try it out in real life so yeah and there's a pretty good twist in the end so Brayden mm-hmm. go ahead uh Go ahead as in, yes. Like, talk about what you... It is five. I I enjoyed... um, There's some fun subversion, I guess, of of what you'd expect a trope like this to be. Um, That Jerry character... Uh, the husband? (laughs) No, the the son. The the weird, nosy neighbor. Oh, another thing I... uh, I enjoyed, and I think it's probably the best part of this episode, and you guys can disagree, 
is where the three of them, the author, the husband, and the George Michael fan, are lying <laughs> on the ground, all shot, or I guess two are shot. One has a... He's been shot too, but he's also starting to feel the effects of poison cookies he's eaten. But she she has been stabbed or, like, throw-stabbed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this, like, with huge, uh, like, shears. Just, yeah, yeah, half of a half of a lawn shear that he just <laughs> expertly threw. Yeah, across the like room. Like an axe thrower, just... Yeah. <laughs> But the genius of that scene is the whip pans, the constant whip pans around, <laughs> and how when they're when they keep kind of deciphering or trying to uncover the mystery between the three, I guess they're all victims. Yeah, they're all victims. Yeah, they all discover they've all been like been screwed with. Every time someone says something or like something that might unravel the mystery, it whip pans the next person, and it always is going right. Yeah, even though the. The geometry doesn't really work in that scene. Oh, yeah. It's bizarre and perfect. I love that bit. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why it's fine for me. Yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the only reason I put this so low on my list, like, like literally the bottom of my list, is that I kind of, when I go into Tales from the Crypt, I expect more horror and more of a scary story than like a thriller slash murder mystery like this, and this is kind of why I felt I thought it should belong at number ten, and also, I well, I didn't find it predictable. I just found it like I kind of wish a little bit, maybe I just wish a little bit more had happened. But overall, I think watching Tales in the Crypt, I enjoyed the other nine episodes more, just like as scary stories and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But actually, talking about what I did love about this, so as Brandon has mentioned, he wasn't surprised to put this on my list because I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. I'm in the middle of trying to read all her books. I love old British murder mysteries like that. That's kind of like my cocaine. Like, get it like get it in me somehow. I'm fucking... That's, oh, that's anti-drug, kids. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I Thank you. That's what I love. And um, particularly about this episode is that, like... It's um it's re I rewatched all I I watched the whole series I made this top ten list I went back and rewatched everything on my top ten recently and like it's so much more Agatha Christie than I remember too because there's a scene when the husband first shows up to confront the murder mystery author he says he's gonna kill her and he says like how he did it like he took the train there he didn't tell her she that he was coming he walked all the way from the train station and didn't take his car. And his plan is that after he kills her, he's going to purposely take his – he's going to drive her car away, making the nosy neighbor think that, like, she's just driving off somewhere in the middle of the night. And there's some other details, too, he adds about what he's going to do. But, like, his whole plan is very much an Agatha Christie, like, how a murder would take place in Agatha Christie murder mystery story. Or it's how, like, Poirot would, would like, say, like, oh, we could have done, like, blah, 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 and done this purposely because of this. Like, that's all very Agatha Christie. The nosy neighbor who keeps popping in at random times asking for like a cup of sugar or eggs because she's because you think she's just nosy and just wants to like see what's going on that's very Agatha Christie like there's always a nosy neighbor like that who has a lot more to do with the murder than you think and I also found the British humor kind of funny of just like the wife and the husband bickering and this this fucking this this 35 year old living next door who's a George Michael fan <laughs> I really think you're underselling his age I yeah. don't think 35 is fair. really I, okay, maybe, brains, like, I think you're 50. right he's probably like, older that's a 58 year old man <laughs> yeah and I love it because in the end of course you find that his mom is the one murdering people and she was totally cool with just offing him like yeah. I don't even know if that was part of her plan because she <laughs> she sent it oh yeah it was part of her plan because she wanted it to seem like he killed himself by eating poison cookies because he sends her over he sends him over to the house with poison cookies and tricks him into thinking that you know the author loves him yeah what an assumption on a parent like right? <laughs> think that the kid her 50 year old child 
is going to sneak into a house, steal a cookie that she's explicitly told him is yeah. for the neighbor. So there's a history there. Yeah, she knows. He's done this before. Yeah. <laughs> He's the reason this all happens. Like, God yeah, damn it, Jerry. I, I, so, yeah, Moss, what did you think of the episode? I, I especially like that uh, that sequence where uh, that nosy neighbor is kind of slowly walking in. Like, it's as if, like, we don't know who it's going to be, but we all know who yeah. it is. It's like very, again, slow-mo. Like, her footsteps are really accentuated. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really fun one. I, I think that... Um, it is really funny because that you're right. This like 50 year old man character comes out of the blue. Like he's just, like he just shows up. And he's like whatever, mom. And you're like, you're like oh my yeah. god, what, that's that's his mother. Like I thought. So there, there's some stuff that kind of stands out in terms of almost being too silly. Like even then, like these characters talking for like extended periods of time after they've been like what appears to <laughs> yeah. be mortally wounded. And she pulls out the sheer like easily. That she would kill give you. A fuck. <laughs> like, sternum that's like yeah. piercing her heart and she's like ah let me get this out holy shit she's tough it was all like the acting was really well done uh great writing great directing like again like Braden said the constant whip pans uh yeah yeah i guess it just didn't kind of going off what you said zach it just didn't have the weird factor yeah like the weird tale factor that you'd come to expect out of the twists in each tales from the crypt episode yeah which is pretty all why it's so low on my list yeah and maybe I should rethink it. But there is a delightfully weird line in in the episode, I think, at the beginning of the struggle between the, the husband and the wife. And the husband's like, Keskase, Snookums? <laughs> Snookums is uh, what a friend of mine calls his cat. <laughs> So I thought that was. I fun. like it because Brayden's reading. Brayden just read what a friend of mine calls his cats, like off a piece of paper. Like yeah. there's a line someone wrote for him. This Daryl calls his cat Snookums. Snookums. <laughs> check the notes. Check the notes. Hold on. Check um, the, we gotta check. The, we gotta fact check this. Um, show notes. One yeah. thing I was gonna say is I think that this is uh, this is a great episode for you, Zach, because it sounds like what you're eventually gonna try and do is create the Ad- the Agatha Christie cinematic universe. Like you're just yeah, probably gonna. I would to, love to. And then at some point you're gonna like kind of work like you're gonna remake this episode in a Tales from the Crypt reboot that I'm sure M Night Shyamalan will eventually make. Oh yeah. And, I'm like um, purposely going over to Bay Street Video later today because Ooh. A, they have a sale on all their video. Everything they have there is 10% off. And oh. it's mostly, but the reason I want to go is because they just, they got in a shipment of Blu-ray copies of Agatha, the Agatha Christie like book adapted to a movie, Evil Under the Sun, oh. and the original Death on the Nile, and the original The Mirror Cracked from side to side, but I don't think The Mirror Cracked is very good. Mm. But the other two, oh, fucking there. I didn't know that. Wait, uh, Bay Street, they, they have Criterions, right? Yeah, man. They're all, having a, they're all, having a, all their shit is 10% off today because it's like International like Video Store Day or some that's crap. That's a tempting offer. I'm going there, too. Yeah. Oh, I have man. some overdue rentals. There you go. Oh, I have to take that. Damn. Man, I Oof. hate not living in Toronto. Oh, boy. Why don't you go over there yourself? Because it takes forever to drive all the way You can leave your car parts. You know what? Oh, I thought we were talking about, uh, like, like we gotta, general, let's, not like let's just, let's get, let's just get recording a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I think uh, we're live. Are we live? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're live. What are we doing later? Uh, <laughs> do you want to, like, drive me somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyone, anything else to say about this episode? Otherwise, let's move on to my number nine. Yeah, yeah, let's move on. All right, all right, all right, all right. So my uh, my number nine is Let the Punishment Fit the Crime, season six, episode one. Listen, I'm stuck in some chicken shit speed trap upstate. Where the hell are you? 
What's the name of this bug? Stooksville. Stixville. Of course, Stixville. Yeah. Are you ready for this? Driving an improperly licensed vehicle. And wait, I have the director and writer info somewhere here. Give me a second. Uh, where the fuck is it? Okay, so it was directed by uh, Russell Mulcahy. It was written by Stephen Dodd and Ron Finley, starring Catherine O'Hara, who just won a fucking Emmy. Uh, Peter McNichol from Numbers. I don't know if anyone saw Numbers. Like you with watch? Jim Carrey? No, Numbers, like the, the, the cop show where they solve murders with math. Oh, I'm thinking of number 27 or something, right? No, no, no. Oh, no. number 24, I think it was. And it also stars Joseph Maher, okay? okay? So, before I go into a plot overview, Brayden, where did you rank this on your list? A lot higher than you did. Uh, I really? put uh, number four. Damn, really? Number four, okay. I think it's the O'Hara factor. It's the O'Hara? I, I, I mean, just, just the This fact, is young O'Hara, maybe, too. I wouldn't say that's... she's. It's mid-90s. I'm not saying she still looks like she doesn't Beetlejuice. She yeah, she looks like Home Alone, but like slightly older, like like five years after Home Alone. Okay, so before before we're going to debate the looks of young versus yeah, sorry, sorry, if you're listening, Catherine, I just want to apologize. But uh, yeah, also yeah, remember when you were Tales from the Crypt, Catherine? Before I just want to get sorry, I just want to give up to give a plot overview. So. In, in this episode, Let the Punishment Fit the Crime, Catherine O'Hara stars as, like, this ambulance-chasing lawyer who's hauled into this really weird courtroom over a traffic ticket. And she's in a place she never she's never heard of, literally called Sticksville. And, it like, when she gets in this courtroom, it feels like something, like a dark fairy tale or fable version of, like, a typical courtroom. It feels like it's out of, like, the Old West almost or, like, the... Kind of the old west, maybe not that quite, but it feels like something almost out of a Tim Burton movie, honestly. Yeah, or like current America. Yeah. yeah, and she basically finds she starts to find out that like this courtroom is very harsh. They give out very harsh sentences, and she really doesn't know what that means until she's tried for her parking her traffic ticket because she's driving a vanity plate, and she's driving with a vanity plate. And they try to like the punishment they try to give her is like ten ten lashes with a whip, and <laughs> she kind of gets um. A bunch of stuff happens, uh, and what and and she winds up getting off with community service, but her community service is being cursed with having to work as a public defender in this court because the whole time she's followed around by uh, what the hell is his name Peter McNichol, um, who who plays like this dorky public defender, and she has like her first duty community uh, in her community service is killing him and then taking over his role. It it more more than just a Tim Burton world. It is like. It is her hell, right? Yes. That's what we realize that it is. It's like she is living her punishment, uh, her eternal punishment for the crimes that she, or not the crimes that she's committed, but the injustices that she's she's been committing her whole life. It is interesting that you, that Catherine O'Hara, or that you pick this because it's a rich Catherine O'Hara character is sent to and is stuck in a small town in the sticks. Which is which kind of funny. Oh, yeah. I'm just realizing how familiar that sounds. Yeah, I'm like, instantly. To I was a like, certain show that just sweat the Emmys. Yeah, yeah, wow. I didn't actually make that connection. That's... Schitt's Creek, Sticksville. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, my. Yeah, that's kind of blowing my mind a little bit right then and there. Yeah, and she's just not comprehending the differences in culture and yeah. rural versus urban. And, like, needless to say, Catherine O'Hara gives, like, a fantastic fucking performance. So yeah. this, wait, yeah. in your ranking, is this still right next to Slight Case of Murder? Is this number four? 
Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, well, let's dive into talking about it as you know, we kind of have a bit. Moss, what did you think of it? Um, I So I thought it was interesting. I would probably also put it in my top five. I thought that it was really interesting because it kind of comes out of nowhere that like, it, it's like one of those... It's like a hell that kind of, you can already tell that she's in some kind of like purgatory-esque place that's like, obviously something's wrong here. Um, there's a lot of like weird shit. Like you kind of immediately experience that with that first guy who yeah. she talks to where he's just like, oh, I'll be lucky off with getting 10 years. You know, and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then um, you see him later and they've chopped off his nose. Yeah, and they've cut off his nose. That was some, yeah. And it was funny because they spend more time on Catherine O'Hare having this like really over-the-top reaction to it. He's just like, whoa, like shaking her head around. They, they like, do, what are they, what is that called? Where they, they just, I don't know what there's a name for it, but they just do another shot with like someone hitting a piano, but they do it five times and yeah. get it closer <laughs> to her face each time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. And Brayden, that's a really good point, bringing up the, the Schitt's Creek comparison, too, because it's it's weird in how it's like this hell is constructed about, like, all of, like, the city lawyer's worst fears of, like, this uh, draconian style of law where they're just like, a hundred lashes, a thousand lashes. You just, you know, and, like, the idea that so much of a random person's life can be judged by these these like corrupt judges and stuff like that. So, and then she is kind of, she has been exploiting those loopholes, right? Like she kind of, yeah. we see a bit of it where she's talking about the, the vanity plate. She proves that it's actually six characters, I think on the plate instead of the five that they were going to try and like kill her for pretty much. Yeah. And yeah, pretty, yeah. Like that, that's fantastic. Like it's, sorry, keep going. Actually, I don't know yeah, no, it's, it's the hell of being wrapped up in well, the hell that she can create as a, as a defense attorney, getting wrapped up in appeals courts and yeah. and all this stuff, and then she gets wrapped up in it, and it's kind of showing like in the inverse, it kind of gets worse. How the punishments get worse compared to which, and I guess at one point she goes to what court C or something. Yeah, because she starts from C, and it's literally a coffin. Yeah, yeah, just keeps getting like worse and worse yeah. and more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with Joseph Maher, which I've seen him. Apparently, he was in Sister Act and. Something else. I wrote this down. He but... played three judges this Yeah, episode. he plays all three judges. I love it because they just do that stupid joke where she's like, it's the same judge. And Peter McNichol's like, what would you make you say that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they do kind of look. They're the brothers, so I'll give you that. Yeah. It's... Yeah. One of my favorite details is when she's first starting to realize, like, before she's even she even goes in front of a judge and she's, like, trying to get a feel for the courtroom, she walks and she sees, like, this framed photo of a public execution and it says, like, 19 and the last two digits of the year are, like, burnt out or something like that. Oh, okay. And she keeps looking at it and it's someone about to be hanged and then before she turns away from it she realizes that like in the back of the car there's like a station wagon or something or some modern day car which like she starts to realize like oh shit like maybe this is and then she immediately gets pulled mm-hmm. into the courtroom mm-hmm. which I just like that little detail of like that's something where like if somebody suggested that in a screenwriting course like one of my professors would be like oh yes 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 show don't tell yeah 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 good <laughs> shit good shit like tell me that's not something that would come out of like Howie's features great great writing of a yeah. station wagon description yeah <laughs> It's it's funny too because I like her line where she's like I'd rather be I'd rather die or be dead than you yeah you like you're, you're uh, t- when she's talking to the like this this completely idiotic uh, public defender so she and then eventually oh my gosh could you believe that the punishment isn't death Whoa. she's not in the electric chair it's like she's becoming what she didn't it's oh yeah she like turns into his clothing and everything it's yeah. definitely it definitely feels like a classic I guess they're the all of these are kind of classic. Um, or at least the majority of the ones you picked are very uh, 
uh, what is it, Apollonian, Dionysian, or whatever. Sure, those yeah. are words. Yeah, yeah, those are sure. words. Um, uh, like the opposites, and and them having to juxtaposition flip. and everything. Well, just or, the 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 um, law and order and justice and selflessness so, versus versus chaos and selfish. Yeah. So this oh, okay. is yeah, yeah, so this you. is what happens in this episode, and what you probably noticed from watching the ones I picked is that like a huge thing, Tales from the Crypt fucking loves with their stories is taking a character who's, like, not a great person, and it could be something as small as, like, this character doesn't tip at a restaurant or is kind of mean to his dog to the point where, like, this character might be abusive, like, to their partner or ripping people off for money. But they love taking shitty people like that and having them get their comeuppance, like, having, like, get what's coming to them. That's, like, Mm -hmm. that's almost the entire, like, dramatic, like, fucking motivation for telling the vast majority of Tales from the Crypt episodes. But usually there's a there's an opposite person. Yes. Usually it's a brother. I mean, how yeah. many of these have <laughs> yeah, yeah. two brothers? Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll get so there. It's it's two defense lawyers in this case. Yeah. Um, this this first defense lawyer. Well, it's Catherine O'Hara. I mean, I don't uh, think they're like opposite. Nickel. Like, how would you say they're opposites? Like, I think they're. Uh, he's but, trying. I guess in a way, trying to. Not, he's not cheating the system as yeah. much as she is, or at least he's showing her how blatantly she has been cheating the system. Okay, fair. Um, yeah. but I wouldn't say less, that he stands for any like justice himself, really. No, it's but it is it is she's confronting kind of a mirror version of herself in a way, okay, an okay. opposite uh, kind of thing. The, the, that theme is stronger definitely in some of the other. Yeah, yeah like the these, other ones you have. these very like almost cyclical punishments that mm-hmm. these characters often have to go through. I think that's a lot of them is the is the kind of the enduring curse or punishment after, um, after the credits roll that you that you feel like after the twist, there is this other thing that our our surviving character has to live with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, anything else about this episode? Oh, we can, we can move on. It's a uh, it's. It's fucking great. I remember when I first started watching it too, because uh, I had to like, I had to binge this episode, this series pretty hard in the month, because like I had only seen like a very small chunk of it by the beginning of September, and my goal was to finish it all by the end of the month. So I was like binging this episode pretty hard throughout September. There's the show pretty hard throughout September, and I remember when I first started this episode, I had like super. I just thought like, oh, this is gonna be bad, or it's gonna be a bunch of like shitty comedy. But I was very pleasantly surprised, and like, it's a very good Tales from the Crypt episode. Hence why it's on this list. Before we go into our next rank, I've just realized. We've been talking about the show Tales from the Crypt for like nearly 20 minutes now without having mentioned the fucking Crypt Keeper. Yeah, can you do your best impression of him? <laughs> you want me to do? <laughs> I don't think I can. You know what? Let's go around the table and do it. We'll start with you, Brayden. I want to hear your because best John. Because I suggested John, it? Oh. Yeah, let's hear your... Uh, okay. I, I got to think of a cool pun, though, too. Oh, shit, yeah. Um, you, want me to, you want to look up a Tales from the Crypt quote and you can read it? Or do you want to just come up with your own pun? Oh, um... Because I don't think I can do. I don't think I come up with a pun that he hasn't already. The, the Crypt Keeper character. Uh, yeah, no, so, I can't make something up. I'm to... probably copying him, but it's like, um, um, good evening, gentlemen and ghouls. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's something really like that. Bad. I'm not good at it. You're not gonna, gonna go just okay. spike he, the mic. He has like a kind of voice, but it's like a John Kizir, everybody. Yeah, John. <laughs> okay, so let me explain what the Crypt Keeper is before like the audience, like our listeners, getting more confused. Okay, okay so we're not doing his occupation because his call. occupation is in his name. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He is the Crypt Keeper. Basically, every episode of Tales from the Crypt Keeper begins and ends with this puppet, this like zombie-like puppet. Um, 
telling you like he's he's always it's, his favorite line is like good evening kitties and he always like like ready for a dead time story and i'm not even i'm not doing it very well at all um but like he he introduced the story with a ton of puns and usually he's doing something that has to do with the story usually i'm gonna get into that later but um and he'll like introduce the story by saying like oh like i know about someone who you know had to suffer from xyz and then it's like i call this one and then he says the episode title we go into it and then it always goes back to him back in his crypt like saying like oh what did you learn and <laughs> he says a little something and it goes away and i have to say the tales from the crypt keep like the crypt keeper character puppet i think is one of the best character puppets i have ever fucking seen and it does change you can watch from season one to seven the puppet kind of like at some points he's great like he looks amazing and and then at some points it's like you've reverted back to like the season one puppet it's yeah. weird yeah. like he does not look the even same. at his worst though i think mm-hmm. he's really oh, good oh he's great mm-hmm. he's great he that's moves. kevin yeager i think that yeah, yeah it is it. you're right yeah the guy who did chucky and apparently fun fact i was trying to read some fun facts about this before he um Only yeah fun facts. so because I, kevin the interesting interesting facts, kevin yeah. yeah is it yeah how do you pronounce his name Jaeger? I think it's Jaeger. Okay, so Kevin Jaeger is like the Jim Henson of horror puppets. But when he was making Tales from the Crypt, for the Crypt Keeper's eyes, he took that directly from the Chucky doll. His eyes are the eyes of the doll, of the eyes of uh, the of the Chucky doll from Child's Play. Little fun fact there. Another fun fact, you know it took six puppeteers to make the Crypt Keeper move in those scenes? Well, at least one with the arms, because those yeah. are like man arms. Yeah, those are man arms, but like he's so like the way is thank you. Thank you, Brayden. <laughs> those um, are man arms. He, his face. I'm not going to assume the gender of those arms. Yeah. Right? Could be, could be <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> his, uh, his, his facial expression, the way his face moves at its best is like so smooth and it like, it, it looks like it could like jump out at you and shit. Do you two remember, and you two might be too young. I'm sorry, how much um, older than you than us? Are older you than us? I'm turning, we, we've talked about this a year I know, ago. Yeah, we did. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I'm a year older than what I said last year. Um, Jeez, oh, the fucking. Sass. I think I'm turning 29 this year. So you're only four. Within kissing old. distance of 29, and I know Ooh, I made that joke like last year. Oh yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, no, there was a game. Sh- there was a kids' game show, a Tales from the Crypt game show. Like you know, um, what is like it? Quest for the Hidden Temple. Show? What was that game show where you? It was pretty all much I know like is Nickelodeon Gak. That's all I know. <laughs> Just that the slime. Should I look up? Like, I, I is it a live action kids game show? Yes, 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 yes. It's like uh, it's like the Hidden Temple game show where the kids had to right. do a bunch of like obstacle courses, kind of mm-hmm. like Fall Guys, the game now or whatever you want to call it, MXC. Um, but yeah, it was horror themed. Or like hmm. you had to go through like secrets and stuff. secrets of the kid of secrets of the crypt keepers haunted house apparently was the game show. <laughs> That's a, yes, like it aired on. Title. It was a child's children's Saturday morning game show that aired on CBS of all fucking places, and uh, it ran from not only ran a year, but it literally started like the year that the live action show ended. Huh, that's where I never knew that existed. Could you it's believe awesome. that CBS, the studio that brought us four different versions of NCIS, brought us... <laughs> they also brought us Twilight Zone in their defense. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, what was it? Tales of the Crypt... What was that? Full I, don't, I, don't, I don't want what it. Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House, I think, is what it was called. I would hope that, I just like, read it, but I just put my phone away. I'm not... It's a real word salad. What, what, yeah. what, I, wa- yeah. what I wanted to say is, I, I, I brought it up to Zach before we were recording. I agree with your point. There's some points when you can tell the puppet... 
is different, not different, but like there's something. I think later on, like one of the season six episodes or season seven intros, he looks not nearly as like decrepit. The texture feels almost more like manu- like you it feels are, plasticky. You guys are way better at noticing this than I am. Like I didn't mm. pick up on that myself. And also, like you could even tell sometimes, like the the way his mouth moves isn't always per- like some episodes. It's like almost it's perfectly synced up almost, and then sometimes it feels very like okay, they didn't right. do too much work dubbing. Yeah, that's true. It is. It is, in, and I don't. I don't know the story behind that. I, I'd have to look into that. Yeah, Just because like, were, were they different puppets at times, or was it a different condition in which? They couldn't have as many puppeteers like in that area, so it just. Looked I feel different. like the budget also know. fluctuated for the series a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So anyway, that was a little sidetrack. Can we at some point play a little clip from of the creepy we're talking in this episode, Moss? Or do you think that'd be too? No, we should do that. Okay, good. We'll yeah. we'll throw that in somewhere. Uh, maybe after our impressions. Some. Oh God, we're still doing that. Okay. All right. Let me. No, I meant like like um, we did some impressions earlier. Maybe after those. Oh, thank so God. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm not. All right. So you're all ready. Okay. Let's go. Let's keep going. <laughs> so you guys ready for my number eight? No. Oh, the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So my num. So my number eight best episode of Tales from the Crypt is Top Billing, season three, episode five. That. That's it. Yeah, you're terrific, but you're not quite what I'm looking for. Well, what do you need? I'm an actor. I need someone heavier. I can wear padding. I don't mean heavier. I, I mean bigger. With John Lovitz. Yeah, starring John Lovitz. Uh, and it was directed by Todd Holland and written by <laughs> Miles Berkowitz, starring John Lovitz, Bruce Boxlitner, I guess, and John Astin. John Astin, who was the original Gomez from the original Adams Family series, by the mm-hmm. way. That's who the director was in that. Okay, so. The director, quote unquote. Yeah, the, okay, okay. So yeah. let me. So. To give you a brief rundown of the plot of Top Billing, John Lovitz plays a very down-on-his-luck actor pretty well in the middle of, like, the worst day of his life. Uh, He can't get a role. He's been fired by his agent, and his girlfriend just leaves him. But he finds an ad for some rinky-dink theater putting on Hamlet. And the thing with John Lovitz is he's like, I'm a real actor. Like, I don't, like, take these bit roles. Like, blah, blah, blah. Despite the fact he has a world in years. John Lovitz, though, more? Can I do a John Lovitz impression? Uh, Boss, you do a great John Lovitz impression, actually. Uh, I'm a real actor. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I don't I'm do John commercials. Lovitz. I'm a real actor. I'm gonna. He is kind of playing with... himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's a schmuck. He's like, I, it's like I can do hands up like the back slush. of my hand, and he's he's got like so much. He thinks he's way better than he is too. And I love it because he yells a lot in this episode, and it's just. <laughs> He is at like full Lovitz. Like he is, he is at like the seventh gear of Lovitz. Like he is Lovitz. in your fucking face. Yeah. Anyway, so John Lovitz uh, sees this ad for like Hamlet uh, for this like audition for Hamlet. He shows up and like his rival shows up, who's an actual working actor, and apparently they like, came up from the depths together or whatever the term is. <laughs> from the depths. <laughs> yeah, sorry. They were roommates. No, the, they used to be roommates. Anyway. They were roommates. Sorry. No, sorry. No, they, <laughs> bad, bad reference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the Vine reference, boss. <laughs> there wasn't enough of... It's probably the least obscure thing we've brought up this whole episode. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> I went right on, I don't. <laughs> yeah, Brady doesn't. I'm, I'm well, too, I don't know that oh, He's too. No. Okay. okay. You know Sorry, what? You know what? We'll move on. We'll move on. It's, it's anyway. Fine. So he shows up to this audition. His acting rival shows up as well, and like the director and the, everyone acting in this production is really weird. It's like a really weird space they're in, and. 
essentially his rival steals the role of Hamlet, so he thinks. So he kills his rival, and then he gets the role of Hamlet, but he finds out that they weren't auditioning for the role of Hamlet, they were auditioning for the role of York. York, is it, it's Yorick. Yorick, yeah. Yorick. So again, anyone knows Hamlet, Yorick is the skull they're holding. So then he finds out that he's not actually in like a like a community theater company. He's in a mental asylum where the patients have taken over and killed all the staff. And they kill him and use his like skin skull as the Yorick prop for the production. And it ends with you see like the last image of this of the episode is seeing like this really like it kind of looked good, it kind of didn't skinned skinned face of like a John Lovitz mask and I just gotta say I would love a John Lovitz mask <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah. I am genuinely curious because I, I, seeing his skull I was like that's not what John Lovitz skull would look like like you just look <laughs> come on he's got most he's skulls gotta have, really he's gotta yeah, don't they all kind of look the same yeah I know I know I'm just uh, in my head like especially like drawing willies, I guess especially like, drawing caricatures for a while like the way that you want to exaggerate like the shape of John Lovitz's face is that he has this very like long but narrow forehead and then such a big kind of round face that just completely goes into his neck. So Moss, I just can't imagine this bit, but you know. Moss is actually in the middle of building a, of sculpting a bust of John Lovitz like right. at home. This has been a passion project of his for a while. A one-to-one bust. A one-to-one. <laughs> like I'm, I want to take it to the wax museum and be like look, it's bet, but you know. Madame Tussauds, here we come. I wonder if he's in there. I I don't think he's famous enough to be in that episode. <laughs> like maybe the, in the back room. He's in like the maybe, maybe there's a statue the the version. Maybe, maybe there's a statue he made of himself <laughs> that he's given them. I'm sure that like every time they have like um like some wax figure is out of style, they just replace it with John Lovett. So he's a placeholder <laughs> he's, wax figure. He's like, a placeholder <laughs> for like oh the Robert Downey Jr. is starting to run a bit against the yeah, John it's like, Oh yeah, we're gonna do we have a we have our new uh, Cardi B wax figure. Let's just move John Lovitz out of here. Let's get him out of here. Cut bum for Cardi B. It's funny. Ew. Any, any, anyway, okay. This, this is like a whole, opens up a whole box of possibilities. Like you're now suggesting that they have backups that aren't just backups of the ones they have, but they just have backups of like less famous people to put in there. It's like if this isn't worth having two Cardi B's. We're gonna have one Cardi B, but then we're gonna have a John Lovitz. We might have a David Spade. He's a little bit higher. Sp- Rob Schneider. Yeah, yeah, we flip out the. Rob Schneider in racist caricature as well as a wax statue, like yeah, they might have the whole cast of Dickie Roberts. Yeah, <laughs> like all the happy man, like the Kevin alley. James one can just kind of most of the cast are simple rules. Like, <laughs> no, no! <laughs> <laughs> the guy who died. <laughs> Sorry, what, I... Jason what, Ritter. You had to... John Ritter? Is it John Ritter? John Ritter. Yeah, not from, John Ritter. Uh, what was from Eight Simple Rules. <laughs> yeah, not not from any other. Oh, I guess he's pretty sure. He was in the the two part miniseries of It. Really? Okay, he's that's the one who dies. But he's the halfway through. Oh, no, he's oh, the one who wow. commits suicide. Yeah. What What's the show that he used to be in? Okay, we're, we're like way off from t- Tales oh, yeah. of the Crypt. Oh, we're forty three minutes into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Three's Company. Three's Company. That's what it was. Okay, let's go. Going back to the episode Tales from the Crypt, top billing. Brayden, what were your thoughts on top billing? Just and also, I want to know where did you rank it. Or sorry, Greenback. First, back. I'm just going to say that he was a roommate in Three's Company. He was the illegal roommate. So we're just going to loop back that roommate comment <laughs> back to that. They were roommates. Uh, thank you. I rated it. Top billing is also number eight. 
Is it Ultimate Brave for you? Mm-hmm. Damn, we matched yeah. up. I was wonder if we matched Sympatico. up. John Lovitz just kind of radiates number eight energy. You know what I mean? Just like, you yeah, know, in a rank ballot of ten. And like, and he's, he's lucky to be that high. He's pissed he's not higher. <laughs> I, and I bet he's lucky to be that high because of his the talent around John Lovitz. In that episode or just in general? Just in, in life. Yeah, in general. <laughs> career, yeah. professional life. You know, like, we keep going goes. back to John Lovitz. Like, this is, <laughs> it's an indictment on his career. That <laughs> episode... <laughs> What, whoever is in his like general orbit is just episode. bad, I guess. Like you just get up close to John Lovitz and your talent lowers just yeah, with he, him. Very weird. I think he's more he We're gonna really, get like sued. reaches up. He mm. everyone around him is better. And he somehow just like hangs on and he's there too. Like Dickie Roberts is a fine movie mm-hmm. in spite of John Lovitz. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's that's fair. And we're gonna get, we're gonna get like a defamation lawsuit on our hands from the John Lovitz estate. Don't worry, we'll censor his name. He won't know. <laughs> no, uh, what, what's what's John Lovitz? Like, what was what are some other movies he's done? We can't keep doing this. What's well, like, like, trapped in about paradise. John Lovitz now. Um, trapped in paradise with Nicolas Cage. Okay, he was yeah, in the producer's yeah. musical movie yeah, as the okay. judge. Yep, that's true. He was uh, on that episode of Science. He was in Rat Race, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's the like, dad. Okay. And then they go into the Nazi sympathizer, yeah. the neo-Nazi museum, which is an excellent scene. That, I actually love him in Rat Race. I gotta, yeah. I gotta be, Rat Race is just fucking... I've never seen... So I've good. never even heard of this Watch film. Rat Race. You should watch Rat Race. Rat, okay, cool. cool. Uh, Rowan you, Atkinson. Wait, you've never... the best part of wait, Rat Race. Wait, Rowan Atkinson's out. Yeah. Well, you've never heard of Rat Race? No. The giant all-star comedy of... It was the 90s, right? Uh, or very early 2000s. It, One of the oh, two. Okay. You've I, never heard of Rat Race. It sounds... From the sound Isn't John Cleese? in it too it's like yeah. a big is so. it like literally a big like mad bad it's like mad a cannonball run it's, oh, okay. it's yeah it's yeah it's cannonball run mad 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 worlds like yeah it's mm-hmm. like it's very much like okay, that okay cool this sounds awesome I'll you've and never if it's heard got of John Lovitz in it it's gotta be great you've never I'm, I'm not over arguably this. probably John Lovitz's best movie to be honest yeah, yeah. Huh. where he had like a he was on the top of the poster? But you've never seen Rat <laughs> okay, Race. Okay, yes. So um, I don't know if you heard me the first time, but yes, <laughs> sorry, I've never like, seen Rat this Race. This is, like, I think we got to stop recording. Like, no kidding. <laughs> um, just okay. pause for a minute. You just Going back, once <laughs> again, bringing us back to top billing. Braden, what, what did you like about this episode? Actually, I don't know why I, why it's at eight for me. It should kind of be lower because I can't think of many things that I really liked about it. I'm just trying to find it here in my notes maybe i didn't write anything because it was boring well i'll I'll quickly say i thought that um there is some good commentary about like the look and about superficiality but the message itself is so like on the nose anyway like it's not like that deep a message it's like can you believe that people like attractive people more than ugly people oh my god it's like yeah no shit everyone knows this This is a reality about hollywood but at that same time it's like it's kind of it plays on those classic themes of storytelling that Tales from the Crypt really likes to play on, like the kind of yeah. traditional storytelling elements that we're all used to, but with a slight twist. Um, so I think it works for that. I did write a bunch of notes. Oh, okay. um, I did love the disposable douche line. Yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> Dancing on top of a disposable douche. Yeah, <laughs> that's, pretty, um, that's it though. Like. Yeah, that I mean, there was a. I mean, my first note here is, and not to, I am bringing it back, but my note, really, my main note here is, of course, Zach picks the John Lovitz episode. 
instantly. Why is it so obvious? I'm gonna love John Lovitz. Like I'm not even like I'm a fan of his. I'm not that big a fan. That's despite the fact that we can say. Wow. I think right. <laughs> I mean, I think I, Moss is a bigger fan of John Lovitz than I am. I I he don't know. Seen He's the I, one sculpting I, John Lovitz. I, you're right. I am doing that full bust. But but seriously, I've never seen. I've never seen uh, much of John Lovitz. Other than, like I know John Lovitz more as like. What's I guess it's like a character actor almost like he's almost just playing John Lovitz in everything I've ever seen. And of him this is just, no exception. He's like, like goofy, kind of bad. Guy. Like he's he always plays like kind of like malevolent characters, like people who kind of have bad intentions and who will ultimately get punished for their greed and kind of like, like that's where he's always kind of like a sniveling, like hmm, I'm John Lovitz, but I've got bad things going so, on. A sleazeball. That's yeah. What I mean. So all right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, top billing is probably one of the weaker episodes. Looking at it now, maybe I should have put this as my number ten. Like, fuck off, both of you. Um, we but like, that. I liked, I liked the kind of, I liked the, I like, I think it was, I think it had more of a weird factor, way more weird factor than slight case of murder. Maybe not so much. Probably. Maybe it was almost equal to the, the amount of weird factor and let the punishment fit the crime. What I enjoyed so much about Top Billing is that sometimes Tales from the Crypt, they have they all have episodes that just decide to lean into the silly and the dumb and the over the top like kind of comedy mm-hmm. that like Top Billing is just like filled with. And I I think this is having watched the whole series, this may not be their funniest episode, but it's but it's like one of their funnier episodes. And I like John Lovitz as this like he's like plays one of the best unlikable characters in the series. And I like how just he leans so much into this whole thing. But some backstory that you two are familiar with as to me ranking this episode. So originally my number eight was going to be, or it wasn't even going to be number eight, my number eight. But the episode I had instead of top billing in my top ten was an episode called Four-Sided Triangle. I'm not going to get into the whole plot of Four-Sided Triangle, but it's kind of problematic. It's kind of sexist. It has a good ending, but I had to, I hadn't watched it in a while when I put that on my list. I rewatched it, and I decided to switch it out with, and I was stuck between switching out with one of two episodes top billing or another episode which funnily enough also has a huge common over commentary overtones about superficiality probably more so than top billing but like a little more on the nose than top billing but still done very well it's about i'm I don't know if I want to get into it. It's called Beauty Rest. It's another episode I recommend. It's about this woman who's try- constantly trying to get acting jobs as well, like John Lovitz. She finds out her roommate has keeps stealing all her jobs because her roommate keeps sleeping with the directors. So she so she accidentally kills her roommate and shows up to this like this fat this beauty pageant that her roommate was supposed to go to and her roommate had a letter that was gonna let her win because she knew one of the judges and then a bunch of stuff happens and there's this big dark twist around what the beauty show actually the beauty pageant actually is mm. but I was stuck between those two and now I'm thinking maybe I should have picked beauty rest but for now I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with my guns I'm gonna stick with top billing top billing is still my number eight but yeah there's some and yet another story where someone could say they I would say beauty rest is definitely an honorable mention for me. Uh-huh. And John Lovitz was not in that one too. No, he was not in that. That'd been fun. <laughs> I wish. No. With lack of John Lovitz is apparently what will bring it higher. Wow. Okay. <laughs> he is Atlas. He Despite is the holding these this episodes on his <laughs> Despite the fact this must like oh another thing I really like about this episode is John Aston, the original Gomez Adams from the Adams family, plays the crazy director mm-hmm. of the Hamlet production. And although he is just supposed to be a kooky director, and like we've seen that character a number of times, it's nothing new to us. He just decided to make it his he tried to make his kooky director the best kooky director he could be. I find him really funny. I find he steals the scene when he's on screen, even with John Lovitz. 
He's just a joy to <laughs> he's a joy to watch. It's just John Aston just bouncing off the frame. Oh yeah. Uh, did you guys like John Aston in this? I like the supporting cast. I really yeah. like the yeah. the rest of the kind of the. I loved the scene where uh, John Lovitz's character realizes that he didn't kill the other guy for the Hamlet role. Yeah. Because that, that, I think that's what you left out of the synopsis or your little overview. I, is oh, that that's right. Sorry. They never knew they were going to be... Um, they So, like, the whole time both people yeah. thought they were auditioning for Hamlet, it turns yeah. out they were both up for the part of Yorick. Yeah. And he was ready to be... I did the did the other actor know that he no, was the going other to be, actor didn't know because just before he's killed, he's yeah. looking so this is some again, if you haven't watched it, we're gonna talk about some details. Just bear with us. So one of the details is that like all the costumes are labeled right. with the character. And remember, he looks at his the label of his costume, reads it, and he starts to say, like, oh, what the fuck? But just before he can get that out, John Lovitz kills him. And as he's trying as John Lovitz is choking him, he tries to say, I'm not Hamlet. And then he's mm-hmm. like, damn right you are, you're not. And you know, he kills him. Right. One thing, one little detail about this episode that I liked was, um, if you notice, the flyer that John Lovitz pulls his, uh, like, the kind of, uh, I don't know, what do you even call them, those little tags that you can pull off a poster that has, yeah. like, the details to call or what, that was all, like, kind of, like, chicken scratch handwriting and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and yeah. at the beginning, it's, like, whatever, like, just some, like, amateurish thing, but, and it's not even that big a deal, it's not really what you're concerned about with watching, but the, the little details that you can kind of show, wait a minute, they're going into this, like, deranged yeah. kind of... Uh, setting very very fun. I also find it funny how the concept is that rather than it being an amateur production of Hamlet, it's an insane asylum where the patients have taken over. But not only have they taken over and they're putting on a production of Hamlet, they were able to get flyers out into the city to advertise <laughs> yeah. for this part. Who was able to get? But they didn't escape. Like, they, not, just, yeah. they just they just handed posters out and put them on some bulletin Wasn't boards. Wasn't it also in? The, it was a bulletin board in a casting <laughs> yeah, casting director's was. office. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah, bizarre. So they yeah. got. Yeah, I mean that's that's impressive, really. Like how they like no one knew that you know. There was no, like, regular checkups on this mental there's faculty. There's a lot of shit like that from Tales from the Crypt. If you really want to get into that, there's... Well, I mean, who wants to also, be the nitpicker? It's also very, like, 1950s, like, yeah. 60s, like, we're scared of the escaped ment- mental um, yeah. mental patient type thing. There's so many of those stories. Yeah. Um, short stories or uh, Tales from the Crypt comic book stories. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like there's uh, that's a good point. Like that's a that's a pretty big trope where like the other is turned into the mental patient whereas and then like the worst fate of the mental of the person of the normal character the, the straight person is that they eventually become a mental patient through too much interaction with like I've seen that like a movie Shock Corridor if you ever seen that where like it starts off with this guy he's like I'm going in undercover to this mental ward and you can just, oh I, he's going to become actually crazy by the end of it and he'll never leave the mental ward type thing mm-hmm. yeah um, so yeah this is a good play on that good twist okay cool all right after after 20 minutes of discussing John Lovitz I think we're ready to move on to our next uh, <laughs> are we our next are, are you guys ready are you guys ready to move on yeah I mean we're an hour in so like let's <laughs> are we actually an hour <laughs> yeah in? 55 minutes in okay well our last one our last top ten was long this can be long too okay so my number seven best episode of Tales from the Crypt is the episode What's Cooking, Season 4, Episode 6. Oh, no. No, honey, look, it's not as bad as you think. Oh, really. No. Now, listen to me. You still got a little room left in one of your credit cards, right? Right? So, we take some of that money, and we buy a whole ton of pork. Oh, 
Poor, it's the other white... Oh, shut... Fr just shut but, up, Fred! You should be thinking about how to keep us off the street, not how to put us even deeper in debt. And let me just give me, give me a second. What, what placement is this? Number six? Uh, this no, seven. Number seven. seven. We're seven. only at number seven. Um, so putting so what's cooking. Okay. Number seven is what's cooking. Directed by Gilbert Adler. Uh, written by Al Katz. Assuming that's not just Al Katz, but it was no. Uh, starring Christopher Reeve, Bess Armstrong, Judd Nelson, and Meatloaf is in this as well. So to give a brief before I ask Braden his ranking, to give a brief overview, Christopher Reeve stars as this restaurateur. Well, okay, maybe what that's kind a of restaurateur? A squid-only restaurant tour. <laughs> he owns a restaurant that only serves squid, and believe it or not, he, it's kind of failing him. And um, Bess Armstrong plays his girlfriend, not wife, I think. And um, this restaurant's losing a ton of money. He's trying to figure out how it to get it wife, back on his way. feet. It is his wife? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. what she says. Like, I married you because of this, I think. Okay, whatever, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, they're down on their luck. And uh, um, they they have this drifter who works for them. Yeah, a drifter, <laughs> as if this wasn't, like, old enough. This man who doesn't blink when he talks to yeah. you just yeah. comes in. Played and by Judd Nelson, who's constantly like, oh, I've got, like, this barbecue idea, like, we could have the restaurant do. And they're like, no, no, no. Anyway, and this and Meatloaf plays the landlord, and one night he comes in, and he starts demanding money. And the guy, Christopher Rue doesn't have any money for him. And then all of a sudden, the landlord goes missing, and the drifter the next day has, like, these two really fresh steaks they can make make and they start cooking these steaks and all of a sudden people just start coming off the street they love this food and they discover of course that the drifter's recipe is like he's killed the landlord he's got him hung up in the meat locker in the back and he's chopping meat off him to cook his steaks and that and his, that's how his recipe is so good it's all human flesh but it turns the restaurant as big success they keep killing people and serving them up as steaks all from the drifter all thanks to the drifter judd nelson and uh, in the end, a bunch of shit happens, but they decide to kill the drifter and keep serving people because also, like, there's a cop character who just likes the steak too much. <laughs> and so, uh, so you're saying that they used meatloaf as yeah. I'm sorry, I know just, you. Yeah. Lawson and I were joking how they should have cooked meat when they killed him. They should have cooked him into meatloaf instead of just steaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have uh, been a little, a little too Sweeney Todd. I wonder if that was the original plan, and that's why they like ironically cast him. Or yeah, or, or and, then, and, then he, and then he read like, the script. and He's like, I'm not fucking doing this. I cannot be meatloaf. I have <laughs> to be some other meat. <laughs> so, Brayden, where did you rank what's cooking in your top ten? Uh, I uh, all the way up at number three. Mm -hmm. I love this episode. Uh, it's got a different ending. I think it's it's uh, there is a comeuppance, but the the evil or the bad thing doesn't really stop. Like they're still planning on serving Judd Nelson to people, and they're going to. I don't know. There's a whole gaggle of drifters standing across the street. <laughs> yeah, that's what I love. He's hanging yeah. out with, like, a group of them. There's, like, like there's, like, five of them he's hanging out with, the drifters hanging out with in one scene. Yeah, he, like, gives a whole plate of looks like raw squid to this, like, <laughs> dude behind him, and he's like, mm, yeah, I, I can do with another plate of raw squid. <laughs> uh, it's season? great, though. Okay, sorry, keep going, keep going. No, it's a great episode. It's, um, Christopher Reeves is Christopher Reeves is really fucking good in this. Mm -hmm. Weird, like it's a, like it's almost a miscast because it's like I don't, I'm not sure I believe Christopher Reeves in this part. But then as it goes on and he just starts to kind of crumble and melt around all the pressure, it I, it I, picks up. That's what I makes great. it. That's what makes it work. The, yeah. the Christopher Reeves character this whole time, this chef who owns the restaurant, hates that he's serving people and he hates that he's doing this. That this is how he's like his restaurant is turning into such a success and like. 
Part of me, I, I almost, like, when watching this episode at first, I was, like, asking myself, does he hate it because he's serving people, or is it because it wasn't his vision that got them this success? And I think that's the fun part of the episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the fun parts of the episode. But I don't think it really ever, it never really comes, like, like, we don't ever really address it, and we don't really ever get an answer about it, which I also well, think works, but... I think that that's a great scene, though, when uh, Judd Nelson introduces him to what's left of Meatloaf... Uh, in, 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 like hold the door open, keep the keep the door open or whatever. Um, it's it's that he's now caught in a situation where he has to make this drifter uh, his business partner. Yeah, what's the drift? What's Judd Nelson's name? Oh, it's a bizarre name. It's uh, <laughs> give me a second. Because yeah, they named the restaurant. Remember, like in the end, they change it to that. Like it's all three of their names in the restaurant. Yeah. So I think I think it's being trapped with this business partner who he knows has murdered. His landlord, but at the same time, I was pretty pumped when they were like, pretty much just saying like, uh, "Let's eat the rich. Let's eat our landlords." <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, I thought it was gonna. I also thought there was gonna be more of a focus on who they catch as the rich, but like for all we know, they could have just been serving homeless people the whole time. Like, oh, um, Judd Nelson plays. Gaston. Gaston. Like yeah, Gaston is his name. Mermaid. They don't even say. They don't even. No, look, isn't that Beauty and the Beast? Gaston. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. They don't even pronounce it, pronounce it the French way. They just keep saying Gaston. Like, <laughs> also, oh, yeah. And Christopher Reeve's name is Fred, and his wife is Irma. So it's like Gaston, Fred, Fred, and Irma's steakhouse, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's which a, it's solid, and it's a solid little like, um, one room kind of play morality play yeah. kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. really just the diner and. I guess there's a little bit in their apartment. But for the most part, it's just the diner. Diner and the back room. Like, you could easily... You know what's funny? You could easily adapt that into, like, a one-act play, and it could all take place in the diner. Totally. And, like, I also... Another thing I thought was going to come back is that... And it kind of... I guess it kind of does with the ending, but, like, when Christopher Reeves is first confronted by the landlord, he goes at him with a knife, and Mm -hmm. and then, like, pulls himself together. Yeah. And I guess then later you see that come to fruition because... Is it he's the one who presses he presses Gaston's face to the grill at the end, right? Yeah, when they all they've all conspired at that point with the cop. Yeah. Yeah. The cop's willing to let them get away with it if he can be cut in on the deal. Yeah, keep getting his good eats and uh, (laughs) Yeah, steak and eggs. Mm, I like it rare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what does he say? I don't think I could do with a squid McMuffin today. And I'm like, McDonald's gonna fucking sue. (laughs) It's it's funny too because um you wonder, like, how did how on earth did they get straddled with this like surplus of squids that they just can only? This is their one reason. Because they, you kind of you kind of do get an answer because later he goes to her before the the people thing happens and he's like, "You still have some money on your credit card, right? Like, let's just invest in pork. It's the other white meat." <laughs> She's like, of course, the two white meats, squid. This is after he he almost tries to kill the landlord, too. Yeah, he goes to the establishment meat right after the newfangled squid. After shooting down barbecue. Yeah, like, you know, he's like, "Ah, we can't do barbecue, but, you know, squid, yeah, squid. Because, you know, our last project of, like, you know, like, antelope wasn't working out, so I guess we got it, like... Like, it was well-directed. It's, like, a nice, like, tight little story. Mm -hmm. And I also... What I also like, and this is a small thing to mention kind of after the fact, but, like, when I first watched it, I thought, like, if they make it so that the twist in the end is that it's cannibalism, this is going to be stupid. But I like that right off the bat, he just shows him that, like, his landlord is hung up in the meat locker Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like, did you guys have any expectations that, like, that didn't, like, that were, like, kind of overturned by this episode? 
Yeah, like I thought that they were gonna do a Soylent Green type twist at the end. Okay. Like you thought, I think. And but then, yeah, no, we cut right into literally we cut into meatloaf. <laughs> Whoa. And um, yeah, it's I like Thanks the one shot too because they almost like the prosthetic that they had for like meatloaf's carcass has this like little slot like it's like a, yeah. <laughs> like a, like it's a, a disc tray. Yeah. And he just like gets it with this hatchet and this pulls out like a perfectly formed. Steak. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Just a <laughs> big hunk of butt meat. Yeah. <laughs> And I also love that, like, he's barely, he's just bones at the end, but also, like, half the skeleton's gone, too. So I'm like, yeah, what, like, what are they doing? Like, harvesting meatloaf's yeah. marrow? Like, what? What's going on over there? Oh, I love it. Like, yeah. uh, and also, I think the shots of everybody eating, too, it's very, like, Sweeney, like, the like it's very, like, second act of Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's fucking, it's a, it's a really great episode. Yeah, there was a podcast, um, it's very, uh, uh, what is the, what is the word, grand... Guignol or whatever, the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds yeah, French yeah. plays, whatever. Um, but there's a podcast about a store that makes empanadas. Okay. It's like a narrative podcast that's yeah. doing a lot of the same thing, and they're serving human meat and oh, getting fun. and and continuing to get away with their crimes by murdering people, and then serving and they continue these empanadas. Like multiple episodes. Yeah. yeah. Anything else to say about this episode? <laughs> uh, just that. Uh, I think it's better than what you thought it was. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I um, I would probably also put it a little higher than uh, number seven, right, that we're at? Yeah. I'm going to stand by where I put it this list, and the only reason... No, Zach, concede. <laughs> Fault of the group. Sorry, go on. The only reason I put it so low is just because I just liked the other six episodes a lot more. And that, again, this isn't to say... This isn't to negate or say anything bad about what's cooking... I just, on watching all these other six episodes, I enjoyed them more, and... Um, That's usually how top ten works, right? Like, the the, the ranking of, of enjoyment, right? You done? <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, so we're going to move on. So, yes, good. Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're, like, over an hour in, I'm sorry. Um, number six, my number six uh, best episode of Tales from the Crypt is My Brother's Keeper. And I, where the fuck is the season and episode number on this? That's season two, episode. Uh, um, wait a second. Seventeen. Now, look, if you don't step on it, I will. Ah, get your foot off me! Eddie, this isn't funny. We're gonna have an accident. I can't stand being with you when you're like this. Well, you don't have much choice, do you, Frank? Not unless you agree to see that new doctor I found. Yes, it is. It's you're right. Season two, episode seventeen. My brother's keeper. That was directed by Peter S. Seaman. Uh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Written by Jeffrey Price. Uh, it stars Timothy Stack, Jonathan Stark, and Jessica Harper. So, to give a quick overview of my brother's keeper, um, my brother's keeper centers around two brothers, uh, Frank and Eddie, who are Siamese twins. They're conjoined. At the, is it their butt or is it the They're hip? conjoined twins. If you want to use it right. I'm sorry, yeah. Siamese. Tw- that's very. That's not exactly. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Uh, they're conjoined. <laughs> fuck off. They're conjoined. I am sorry. They're conjoined twins. And they're joined kind of at the hip or the butt. There's just a giant chunk of skin that. Connects them. Yeah, in the episode they do call themselves Simon. It's not the yeah. correct term. But I know, they, but they, the Tales of the Grip is not the best when it comes to they're, anything made from like and yeah. Go anyway, on, yeah. they're conjoined twins, and of course they're polar opposites. Frank is like he's clean, he's proper, he likes the symphony, he likes to read. He's like an all. He's like kind of a little bit like Fraser, like that's that kind of guy. Um, Eddie, on the other hand, he likes drinking, he likes going out, he likes partying, he likes. 
kinky sex, as you discover in the episode, which was just a great fucking scene, apparently. Uh, anyway, so, like, they're constantly fighting on where they want to go. Like, they say, like, you know, like, uh, uh, Frank agrees to go to, like, some sleazy bars with Eddie if, like, Eddie will go with him to the symphony. Anyway, Frank, and the whole time, Eddie is trying to convince Frank to do this surgery that'll separate them, but it only has a 50-50 chance of, like, them surviving. So Frank is very cautious. He doesn't want to do it. But, of course, Frank meets this woman who plays in the symphony, and she and they have, like, a love interest thing going on. And the whole time, like, Eddie keeps pushing him to sign, this, to sign a medical form that'll let them do the surgery. And it basically ends with a bunch of stuff happens, and you find out that, like... This love interest was actually paid by Eddie to like get close to Frank to convince him to sign the contract. And but then she says she actually developed feelings for him, but then Eddie kills her and um, Frank like tries to kill himself because the thing is when one of them drinks, they both feel it. So he downs a bunch of painkillers, thinking he's gonna kill himself. Then they both wake up. And this is after, of course, Eddie's killed the love interest. They both wake up in a hospital. Eddie discovers that Frank has gone through with the surgery. They've been separated. But now Eddie's being arrested. And while Frank will be free, Eddie is, like, off to prison. And it's implied he's going to get the death sentence. Mm-hmm. The gas chamber. The gas chamber, specifically. He's very explicit about that. Yeah, which, interesting language. So, they, I'm, I'm curious, though, Braden, where did you rank this? Sorry, Moss. Number one. This was your number one episode. This is mm. the best episode you told us to watch. Mm. Definitely. Really? Oh, this man, is... it's hilarious. It's... <laughs> Brayden, Moss, what were you going to say? And then, sorry, I didn't mean to... Well, I was gonna. I was just going to say, going off that little bit where you're talking about the story, the ending also kind of uh, alludes to uh, the good brother right. kind of ending up becoming... Comes, yeah, yeah, he comes like his evil brother as he's been separated, because he says the With exact, a really good line, too. Yeah, yeah. He, he reuses his brother's kind of sleazy line when he's I talking to I bet you the, got a corset under that dress that just wants to come out. Yeah. A leather yeah, corset. A leather yeah, corset. A leather corset. Corset, just yeah. hinting that like every every potential girl that he like passes that he's attracted to, he's like, you must be into BDSM, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Jesus. You know. So okay, Braden, tell us what this is your number one. Okay, this is my number one, and this was after a while of thinking another one was my number one. But uh, watching it again this morning because I grabbed the last couple, I watched the last couple this morning, um, and I ended up watching this one again by accident, but I couldn't turn it off. Um, it's it's really what I would ex- what I want out of any Tales from the Crypt episode. Okay. It's it's very weird. The characters are very well drawn and they're very bizarre, um, but they're very clearly bizarre. Like there's no there's no mincing mincing words about what what each character is for the story. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Again, it goes back to the two brothers: the one, the Chaos Brother, and the Order Brother. Um, Jessica Harper is phenomenal, yeah. and I love Jessica Harper. And acting on everyone's point and everyone's behalf in this yeah. is very good. Yeah, Timothy Star or Timothy Stack. I don't think there's a relation to Robert Stack, right? Uh, don't don't quote me. I don't know what Timothy Stack yeah, is even I, from. I, I, I don't. I don't, know. I don't even recognize uh, any of these actors really. Well, Timothy Stack, and I will tell you this: he's uh, Frank. Timothy Stack, yeah, plays Frankie or Frank. Uh, he is a great. In this thing, or in this episode, but he was also great in Scary Movie 3, one of my favorite movies. Scary Movie 3? Who the 3? hell is he in Scary Movie 3? He, he is the, the boss of the television station <laughs> who just wants TNA on the air. Oh, right. oh my god. And oh. twins! Yeah, that's him. <laughs> 
That's Timothy Stan. That's a great connection. Thank you. Thank you, Brayden. Let's play Six Degrees of Separation next time. Like, scary Movie 3 is also uh, the best scary movie because it constantly, one of the running gags, is a child being hit by a car, and it's hilarious. <laughs> just hilarious. And he's in Boom. Yeah. <laughs> he just constantly keeps going flying. He gets mm-hmm. hit, like, hard. Anyway, it's good stuff. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. Forget oh, great. Let's talk about the scary movie movies. Are you kidding? Uh, yeah, we should. Next, <laughs> next time. Oh, next time. Oh, man, next we got to wait all year, but all right. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Jessica Harper, like, especially highlight Jessica Harper, how great she yeah, is. Yeah, she's very good in this. And, like, how, bra- how great she brings kind of, like, the actual seriousness of the... Yeah. Like, she is the straight character in the whole thing, just dealing with this absurd... Like, the absurdity of the episode, I think, is, of all of them, the most absurd. Yeah. Maybe other than Ventriloquist Dummy. Yeah, that, okay. We, you already just yeah. revealed... We haven't Whatever. gotten there yet, so just... <laughs> but, like, those are probably the most absurd ones uh, of of them because they're dealing with, I don't know, like, body horror and yeah. monstrosity and stuff yeah. like that. But just how well they flesh out those two characters, like, the two oh, brothers are just... Pun intended. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when I first watched this episode. I I love how it plays out. I love how the brother is just like Frank. Eddie is just trying to convince Frank to sign a medical waiver, and that's like, that's like the point. That's like the main point of conflict between them. Like putting the love interest thing aside, and. Uh, I remember when I first watched it, I thought, like, oh, like, the the shitty brother, Eddie, he's going to fucking find, like, a sketchy surgeon to do it and just knock his brother out mm. or try to find mm. some way to do that. And that's right. what I kept thought. That's what I kept thinking was going to happen. But what they did is so much fucking better. Sorry. Mm. A lot of these mm. – for the for a lot of the episodes I chose on this list, I thought one thing was going to happen, another thing happened, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. Keep going. Sorry, Moss. What did you – no, no, no. Uh, I, I don't have too much to say on this episode that hasn't already been said by you guys, but I think it's it's quite, yeah, like, as Brayden, as you were saying, there's there's it's interesting to play with body horror and the way it does, and then the kind of, the ending with using the bed being separated as well as, like, the yeah. brother. It's kind of like this big, satisfying reveal. Like, you can kind of tell it's going to happen, like, from the beginning of the scene, you kind of know, but it doesn't ruin it. Like, it's still satisfying to watch him be like, no, no, mm-hmm. and, like, and but, and then I love the fact that they didn't just make it, like, about him winning. Like, the other brother is tainted by his, like, yeah. brother's, like, kind of evil, not, I, I don't even want to call it evil, just kind of, like, general, like, pig-headedness. Which and, like, I, l- I didn't see like, coming at all, murdered, and I love, yeah. I love that, like, <laughs> Yeah, like some of his brother might have rubbed off on him, and like mm-hmm. just oh, it's a great ending. Well, yeah, he possesses both sides. Yeah, of of himself and his brother now, which leaves the rest of the story or the his life, I guess, pretty ambiguous. Because like, what do you what are you gonna do now? Yeah, you're now living with uh, a self that likes to speed around in a Ferrari and hire prostitutes and stuff. Like, it's a very yeah. it's a it's a cool. Um, I don't know. Of all the episodes, probably my favorite characters are those two brothers. Yeah, these characters. Jonathan Stark is awesome. Jonathan Stark and Timmy Stack work off each other so well. Like, from the Mm -hmm. second they come on camera driving that car. And, like, 
and you know they haven't like revealed technically that they're conjoined but um just like just the dialogue of them driving the car to the club and the first scene of them dancing together too at the bar i thought they were gonna have like a synchronized dance that they do but they didn't i thought this was gonna be like like night at the roxbury where they start fucking, like and i love how i love how wealthy they are for some reason right yeah like, they have re- this beautiful house with this huge bathroom and i i know they have to have two of everything mm-hmm. for like the sake of the show and the art direction but what the what do they do for a living? I, I felt like it was a play on uh, Dead Ringers a little bit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, with um, the two Jeremy Ironses a yeah. little bit. And then yeah. them kind of, instead of being kind of the surgeons, the they want to get the surgery type thing. It's it's Yeah, yeah it's a very interesting... Uh, I don't know what Dead Ringers is, I'm sorry. This it's is... a Cronenberg film. It's, uh, you know, the very similar oh, body horror stuff, except yeah. instead of the twins being... It's a little more. I think Dead Ringers is a little better, but like that's not really fair. It's apples oranges, but like yeah. they're they're very interesting in how they kind of deal with the con- the weird kind of connections that go beyond just physical bodily connections to like a sibling stuff like okay, that. Cool, mm-hmm. yeah. And like as someone who has like my own like lots of sibling issues, and we'll get into that another time, or maybe not. I don't like talking about it, but. Uh, <laughs> I've told you guys about it. The seed is planted. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Now, yeah. now all of our audience is going to be like, oh my God, what? Yeah. yeah. The forums <laughs> will demand. All. Yeah, Please. right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell all. Um, one, one other thing I was going to say about this episode, though, was that um, I just found it really interesting that, like, in this show, like, I, it's always, I always find it really funny when someone in a show where they're like, oh, we have to show this person is out of place at the nightclub, so we, we have them read a book. Who the fuck has ever read a book at a nightclub? Like, yeah. whoever brings it, and, like, I know that the point of her reading the matching book is that it's all orchestrated by the brother, obviously, but I'm just saying, like, who who on earth, what you, like, if you're even a smart guy who's like, I want to read a book... That you'd know that you can't focus in an anyway sorry I, I, I think it was just the lighting sorry I have read a book at a bar at a bar at a but this bar. is a club but this is like I a dancing mean, club like when's the last time you hit up a nightclub and like read a book Brayden definitely not in 2020 <sighs> not in 2020 that's for sure damn oof anyway yeah. um I Went to Film School is recorded in Toronto, Canada, and produced by Zach Gladstone and Anthony Moss.